Right, I've actually pressed record this time. Oh, fantastic. So we are recording. We're live, you know. Yep. So you ready? I am ready. I'm so excited for this. I don't need you to tell me how fucking good my coffee is, okay? I'm the one who buys it. Would you like to come upstairs for some coffee? No, no, thank you. I can't drink coffee later. The night keeps me up. <laughs> All right, welcome back. Episode 31, I think I'm up to. Yeah, professional at this now. Oh, I'll, I'll take that coming from you. <laughs> yeah. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't read already from the title, which well, I'll write later in a few days <laughs> from now, uh, I've got Jamie Thompson on. How are you going, Jamie? I'm great. Thank you for having me on. Mate, It's um, how long have we been trying to record a podcast for? Uh, yeah, probably too long. Too I think, long. I think we. Uh, you moved... To New South Wales, so then I moved to New South Wales. You've moved back to Victoria. Yep, <laughs> and so this is this is going on a year and a half. Yeah, almost. absolutely. So it's uh, it's great to finally have you here. It's so much better. I love doing podcasts face to face as opposed to Zoom. Audio quality is better. Vibes better. I'm looking you right dead in the <laughs> eye right now. It's quite romantic. I've got my diffuser on. You know, got some lavender aromatics going. Mate, it's fresh. It's Got it, the studio going. Got the studio going. So I call this Sub Zero Pal. So welcome to my yeah. to my little part of the world. Um, so you are. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start off with your sort of what you're doing for work right now. So what what are you doing for work right now? Uh, well, I hate titles, but I uh, coffee key account manager is what my title is. But mm. really, I do all things coffee for Silver Chef uh, in New South Wales in the ACT. Yeah, so those being states of Australia, for those listening uh, abroad. Um, and so Silver Chef does what? So we uh, we finance hospitality equipment. Uh, so everything from ovens, deep fryers, and coffee equipment. So I specialise in the coffee section. So I partner with all coffee roasters, equipment suppliers, cafes, restaurants to um, to help fund them get the coffee equipment they want in their venues. All right, and we're going to come back to that. I want to know... So I want to know. I want to know a little bit about Jamie before we get into this. Okay. So we were having an interesting discussion. We've been setting up for the pop up that's going to happen tomorrow. So this is a pop up Eve po- uh, podcast. And uh, and when when I was chatting to you over there, you you're, you've got a really terrific science and mathematics brain. Uh, you know, one of your strongest features. I mean, I don't know all your features, but that's one of your strongest features that I know of. Um, and you know, I. It makes a lot of sense, but you actually, um, you've spent some time studying uni. What did you study? Yeah, so I studied biomedical science mm-hmm. um, with the original pathway of doing medical research. But at the time when I was studying, I was working in restaurants and bars and just enjoyed that more and sort of uh, followed the hospitality pathway, uh, which led me to coffee. And then coffee got all sciencey, so it was nice to sort of jump back into the coffee science side of things. And, you know, it's so brilliant. that How many people are working in coffee that were sort of, you know, planning to do other careers and, you know, went to study, completed the degrees, um, and then, you know, they they fall in love with coffee or the hospitality industry and they apply their skills to that. And, you know, and to give you some examples, someone like yourself, me, I mean, I, I, I studied journalism uh, when, I, when I went to uni, um, Christopher Hendon, uh, he's a computational chemist, um, unbelievable, unbelievably in, uh, intelligent guy, has a, uh, a research lab at the University of Oregon. If I, is, that, is that what's going on with, with Chris? He's been on this podcast and he's coming back. 
Good oh, plug. Um, very excited to have him back. Um, and then I don't know. The, there's there's so many so many talented people out there that you probably don't realise, but they apply their skills to uh, that they were using in other industries, other areas of sort of education to coffee. I think it's great, and you know we're 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 a stronger industry for it. Oh, absolutely. I think worldwide. I think more people are employed in coffee than there are people in Australia and that's in the whole supply chain. And so I think you need really good people, really smart people in order to have this whole infrastructure actually work. Um, it's, you know, it's a hugely traded commodity. Uh, it is, uh, I think the, depending on which country it's either the second or third most consumed beverage behind water and tied with tea. So it's, it makes the world go round and you need smart people to, to have this business like work, mm, yeah, and it's. Um, I think in Australia, it's a five billion dollar industry. Yep. Uh, which I, I forget off the top of my head what our sort of GDP is. I think it's like some close to a trillion dollars. That's not an inconsequential amount of money for you know. No, and even with what we've gone through in the hospitality sector being pretty decimated with COVID in the last two years, we're still projecting for that to grow and pushing nearly through eight billion dollars in the next three years. So. There's a lot of projections for this market, not only to still prop up our economy, but to, to help grow it as well. Interesting, interesting statistics. I love it. Um, I want to ask Jamie about uh, your sort of coffee background. So I met you, I think loosely first at St. Ali. You're working at another cafe just around the corner, which we'll just touch on in a bit. But I think you really cut your teeth working at St. Ali. Would that be correct? Oh, probably before that. Okay. Where were you working so, before that? Like, so I start, so my hospitality actually started at Dimitina restaurant on Ligon street. So using Dimitina coffee, yep. um, did that for three or four years, then had worked in a couple of really nice, I like worked in a hotel for a little while, uh, which had a dining room and a front bar. So I learned the sort of pub game, then had a bar manager job at a restaurant, uh, was working, you know, all sorts of crazy hours and then was actually going to, you know, the coffee cafe that's around the corner from your place, Liar Liar, <laughs> mm-hmm. was going there as a customer often um, and, yeah, just decided that I didn't want to work nights anymore. This is at the time that my, um, my ex-wife was pregnant and um, we just thought, you know, better, you know, time. She was like, I was, like, I was in a pretty well-paying job and she actually helped support me go just follow your coffee dream and, I, yeah, got my start at Liar Liar, which was at the time owned by um, Nolan Hurt from well, Now Proud Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I yeah, that's where I cut my teeth and started. What were some of the things going on back then? Like, so what year is this? And then, you know, just, just so I can sort of delve back and, you know, imagine what kind of things you're doing there. So this is 2008. Uh, so I'm in year eight at school. I'm yeah. 14. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel old sometimes doing these things. Um, no, this is 2008. Uh, what made me fall in love with that is um, he had a Clover. So clo- what's, a, what's a Clover? Clover is a by-the-cup automated uh, brewing machine. makes filter coffee. Uh, was actually purchased by Starbucks uh, in late 2008. Um, and they have the exclusive rights to it. Obviously, the American filter market is huge and obviously most of it is batch, but they thought there was a drip coffee. Drip coffee. There was a an opportunity for them to do high end by the cup stuff where they didn't obviously want to put in manual brewing on their bars. Um, and Nolan went to SCAA uh, probably the year before and saw this machine, thought it was really cool. And, you know, they were, were doing by the cup filter, um, automatedly brewed, served in a brandy balloon. And it was like kind of like, this is really cool. Um, you know, coffee menu of six, seven coffees, uh, multiple filters, multiple grinders for espresso. Yeah, that's where I sort of started it all. And 
Yeah, got really into it. And then after Liar Liar went to... Uh, after Liar Liar... So Liar Liar got sold. Uh, it was actually purchased by St. Ali. Um, so after Nolan had left, I sort of... I became the head barista there, uh, where I sort of got to learn a little bit more of sort of that management side, stock control, um, creating menus. Uh, and then I was approached by what is now the Mulberry Group. Um, so venues like... Um, Liminal, they used to have Top Paddock, Higher Ground, uh, to open up three bags full. Leon Kennedy, who was the general manager of Proud Mary, is now the CEO of the Mulberry he Group. He is, yes. He's an absolute, another one of those OG coffee people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's so great for them. Uh, yeah, so they uh, they approached me to op- um, sort of run the coffee program at three bags full. Um, another Melbourne institution. Another Melbourne institution. Their best dish, and I'm not eating meat anymore, but their best dish is a like pulled lamb shoulder on like a pumpkin flatbread or something like this flatbread with like mashed pumpkin on it. Unbelievable! If you're in Melbourne, go to Three Bags Full and have that dish. It's fantastic. Please continue. Please continue. So um, yeah, we worked uh, side by side with Five Senses Coffee to create a coffee program. We got the last ever clover that was available before Starbucks and they Starbucks stopped sell, allowing people to buy spare parts. So when it broke, it was just over for it. <laughs> um, we also had Australia's first volumetric uh, Seneso Hydra. At the time, Senesos were just manual paddles. Uh, they are beautiful machines to work on, by oh, the way. Absolutely. Um, where, like, while I should be pl- pulling shots and not steaming milk, because I think I broke two, like, four or five of the steam arm handles, a bit, just a bit too strong there. But, um, no, I think, like, it was funny because at the time we got a little bit of grief from the coffee community for not having a manual paddle machine. Um, but I was really, like, adamant that for the whole volume we're doing that a programmable machine, volumetrics... What year is this? 2010. Okay. So this is like, you know, Seneso was starting to get a bit of a foothold. Obviously, the the first versions of Slayers were out then. Um, and that's, you know, that was the whole idea for you to be a quote-unquote real barista. You needed to be making your coffee manually. Something that I just didn't agree with. But mm. we, we, look, we were pushing, we had such a great team of coffee people there. Um, so you can't do it on your own. We were doing 110, 120 kilos a week back then. And mm. I look at the, the team I had there. So I had uh, Casey Reynolds, who she's now, well, vo- she's now with Cafe Imports on the green side of things, but was the head roaster at Seven Seeds Coffee. Uh, Elika Rao, who uh, went on to start Square One Roasters. I've never met her, but I know yeah. she's held in high esteem. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, Rowan and Sonam, who obviously now kick-started their Golden Brown Coffee it's their social media company. And you said we might see them tomorrow. I'm hoping they should come tomorrow. I, should send I, I would be so excited to, to meet that guy. He's so funny. Yeah. Um, Mike Sullivan, who obviously was a green buyer for Proud Mary for a long time. Um, uh, Amy Cleary, who she's out of coffee now, but she was a big part of, you know, why we needed to focus on some customer service things after some experiences you have. And I always use her as example. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. So we just had this, you know, a great coffee team. Um, in my last sort of six months there, I started roasting um, singles for the for the cafe, um, which was really cool. It was a nice way to sort of broaden my skill set uh, and get myself off bar for, you know, one day a week. And then uh, come middle of 2012, yeah, made the jump across to St. Ali after spending lots of time with uh, Matt Perger. What was that like? What, moving to St. Ali? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. It, again, it's it's got a reputation about itself. It's mm. a Melbourne coffee institution. Mm. Um, 
Because I haven't, I feel like between 2000 and sort of, yeah, 13, 14, or 2012 rather, um, 13 to about 20, probably like 2018 was the golden era of Melbourne coffee. Like that's, to me, like I don't, I don't, I don't remember better coffee than that sort of era. Um, that's just purely anecdotal. Um, you know, maybe I'm just being a bit of an old timer, but yeah. that that really was the golden era. And you guys and like you know Seven Seeds, uh, Co Black at the time, just doing unbelievable stuff. And Proud Mary as well. Sorry to to anyone else I haven't mentioned that deserves a mention, but you know, really, really excellent time. And you would have worked with some really good people. Like everything, everyone you just mentioned from your three, three bags falls, like the, probably part of the Melbourne Specialty Coffee Hall of Fame. Yeah. Mm. And look, yeah, look, we didn't, not that we had slouches at Ali as well. Obviously, people have gone on to great things moving along from there. Um, it was probably a time where uh, there was a lot of growth. Obviously, one of the first iterations of MICE, the Melbourne International Coffee Expo, when the World Barista Championships was held here in 2013. And I think that really put, like, you know, Melbourne coffee into some sort of different place as far mm-hmm. as the level of coffee that can be produced at a cafe level. Uh, obviously, yeah, like you mentioned some, like, you know, um, Seven Seeds, um, Code Black. Obviously, you have Small Batch is a big part of that growth in the scene mm-hmm. as well. Um, and auction rooms. Auction yeah. rooms, yep. Um, so many. And and then I guess what happened is I, I reckon the big turning point for Melbourne Coffee was actually when uh, Market Lane opened. Um, so Market Lane's obviously green business, Melbourne Coffee Merchants or Macanta, mm-hmm. uh, opened their first shop in the Paran Market. And it was probably one of the first coffee roasting businesses I remember that like was fully transparent with their coffee. Like this is our blend. This is the percentage of the coffees in it really open book and sharing with their customers of what was in their coffee. And that was like, I, we need to be doing this like, a, everywhere. They are a much adored business here yeah. uh, by, and not really not so, like obviously by the special coffee community, but mm. I feel like, you know, the general Melbourne, Melbourne population really, really has a deep affection for that business. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and they are a worldwide business with McCanter and their green buying business. But the way they – look, we we had – like, go back to when I started, we had really old coffee. So it was really cool that – like, I remember we had my first ever cup of excellence lot that I had. And when I sort of trying to do a bit more research so I could actually then present this information to our customers, it was two years past crop. So, like, that's just by the time it actually – like, when I found out, okay, that's the farm level and that's the cup of excellence that it won, and I'm like, okay, go through a cup of excellence website. When I actually finally found the results that actually matched with the information, I'm like, oh, this is, like, from two years ago. So it literally took that long to get really good coffee here. And then all these businesses who just invested heavily in this infrastructure to get coffee here faster so we could get fresher green and then consume better coffee. I just think it was – yeah, that was absolutely the turning point for me. And so it's interesting to hear you talk back about those sorts of things. And I, I look upon it, I mean, I wasn't even in, in the industry for most of that, but I still look upon it fondly. Uh, but, you know, let's flip flip the pendulum here sort of thing to where we are now. And uh, it's it's really interesting that you say uh, what you said before about sort of people looking, upon, looking at you sort of strangely when you had that uh, volumetric Seneso. Yeah. And it's like almost sh- uh, frowned upon to have that machine and you're not considered a real barista to now where it's like, I actually think automate automation will help m- make a true barista sort of thing. Um, and, you know, you know, a lot of the practicalities of making coffee nowadays is sort of not really required to, to be able to effectively do your job. Um, you know, for example, like 
I feel like you can train a barista very quickly nowadays to do a very good job because you don't need to be a master at steaming milk. You know, a lot of the latte arts things can be done quite quickly with some of the new technology that's available. Agree? Disagree? Oh, absolutely agree. And I think the more you embrace that stuff, the more you can actually – look, it was at a time – I just remember working in busy venues and I'd love talking about coffee with people, but you could never leave the machine to do it. And so I was like, at any time, if a customer wanted to talk more about the coffee, just get them to come to the machine. We'll talk over the top of it. But now you can actually put that time and investment in actually serving your guests. And if you look at the parallels within the wine industry and somehow the barista, I remember reading this article from James Hoffman many, many years ago where the barista had to juggle between being the chef and being the sommelier. So you're like creating the dish but also serving the dish whereas you think about a a restaurant or a wine bar where they're trying to obviously give you the story about this you know the terroir and all this stuff about the wine they're actually talking you through it they're not making it and um, whereas you know your baristas who may have that level of passion for the whole process from harvest through the import to roasting through your equipment now with that automation piece they've got more time to actually have that discussion, and I think that's really important. All right, well, let's jump straight into the automation side then because this, this this is something I've wanted to talk to you particularly about. Um, now it's even more pertinent because you're sort of working, sort of you're more entrenched in the field, yeah. I guess you'd say. So my first question to you about automation on this topic is, what is automation in your coffee context in your opinion? Uh, okay, so coffee automation is anything that a machine can do that I think the machine should do, not a person should do. You should be working hand in hand. So I think the way that coffee will survive and will actually grow is what I call person-driven automation. So not f- like full automation I think is fantastic, but there's still an element of someone driving it. And the parallel that I always liken to it is that if I had a race around a racetrack and I was in the same car as Lewis Hamilton, he'd absolutely just you know, he'd obliterate me, right? He's the best driver, you know, best Formula One driver. However, I was able to do a hot lap in my car versus a hot lap in his car, then I'd probably do a better, I mean, I probably wouldn't be able to control a Formula One car, but Mm. you can see a better car would do a better performance. A better driver does a better performance. And Mm. when they work hand in hand, then it's the best performance for everything. So it's the best piece of equipment and it's the best driver doing it. And that's where I see that there's an opportunity for the coffee industry to really embrace automation, not see it as someone replacing it, but as a tool to actually help you grow and help you actually do better. Mm. And and what what problems are there currently that you think can be remedied by automation? Like the, big, the biggest one, you know, I'm probably going to steal your thunder a bit here. Uh, the, the, in Australia, we've got a bit of a staffing crisis. I, 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 could, I can't speak for any other country. I can only speak for this one. Don't really research it in other countries. But we, it's really hard to find people to work in the coffee industry right now. And the sort of big issue it's having is, um, well, it might not be an issue to some, but you know, it's uh, businesses are having to pay a lot staff a lot more to actually come in to the to work for them. Um, yeah. So what other so Consider that and then what are some other sort of issues that we can sort of unpack that remedies uh, uh, that, that automation could fix? Or, yeah, sorry, yeah, I was trying part, to find part a, resolve. I was trying to find a statistic and I can't find it. Mm. Um, yeah, so obviously the number one sort of issue is um, the staffing crisis, obviously. Uh, and is it a crisis? Look, we what typically we would see between, what, two hundred to 300,000 people uh, sort of come to Australia on a yearly basis. So if you think about being pretty much shut down for two and a half years, it's 
probably half a million people. Mm. Um, you got to think about that a lot of the hospitality industry in general is usually like well served by people who come to this country. Um, it's obviously um, like if you look at yourself, I think when lockdowns first happened, you got you and Todd were, had set up like a sort of semi permanent sub zero spot. Um, which obviously closed, and then you left the industry for a little bit. So people who were highly skilled in this industry, um, when venues closed, found other other jobs, found other industries to work in that were – obviously there are other industries that are, have sort of grown in this time. Uh, and, and that's that's a point I really want to sort of explore a bit more. Like for, for myself, like I went and drove a forklift in a chlorine factory for a few months and started stuck in, studying economics thinking – well, screw coffee. What's it done for me? You know, I, I was very frustrated at the time and, um, you know, loving, loving being back. So definitely sort of, you know, it really took the time to sort of, you know, be away but learn how much I love it. But, you know, it's, it's you're right. There's a lot of people that just went and thought, well, you know, I just got cut from my job so easily. Why don't I go get something more stable that pays more money? Because a lot of us don't do this for the money, really. No, it's definitely something you do – because you love it. Um, there can be good money to be made. And I think if the more people who make good money in this industry, the more good people will stay in the industry. Um, yeah, I, look, obviously the short, the staff shortage is obviously the big problem that we have and why, um, you know, that you've seen so many venues close. Um, and that's just, yeah. So I think the the idea of, of having some of that and having um, make it more attractive to people so again, that's where we can lead into why pieces of automation can help that. Mm. That's what I'm here for. Um, yeah, and, and and I think I think as well, like it's not really going to be an issue that quickly abates. Uh, like the, there's um, there's so many more jobs, or significantly more jobs available than there are people to fill them in this country right now. We, in hospitality. Uh, like our, our national unemployment rate is like 3% or something. What some of the lowest it's ever been. But um, yeah, so what, what are some pieces of equipment? So you put yourself in a specialty coffee sh- shop shoes. You you have a stand of coffee that you would like to keep offering. Um, you don't necessarily have the staff to, to be able to facilitate that. What are some things you can do? Well, I think the first piece of automation that we're actually pretty happy to sort of implement into cafes was Batch Brew. Uh, obviously filter coffee still isn't, I guess, as saturated into the general public as it is to coffee people. Um, but it was definitely well accepted pretty early on that manual brewing, um, by the cup brewing is not probably the way to get more filter coffee to people. Obviously it's a slow process. It's quite, you know, like, look, it's great to offer it. And there are places that will offer multiple tiers of filter that have batch and they have pour overs as well. Um, I think that was like, I think we go back to obviously having a clover in 2010, which was an automated by the cup. I think when we opened St. Ali North in end of 2012 and we had a FETCO and we did everything through batch and we were serving like, you know, eight, nine liters of batch in the, like in that first couple of months, like we like, this is the only way we should be doing it. I think that was the first piece that kit um, allows you to sort of broaden your menu. Um, obviously the implementation of pretty much, you know, I could say volumetric coffee machines uh, are now pretty much standard across the board. You obviously, we talked about, um, you know, the first Seneso. Now you look at all the sort of Seneso range, there's a lot of it's all programmable. Um, Slayer's the same, you know, Slayer's got different ranges. So all these equipment 
uh, all these equipment manufacturers have come back and gone, okay, so what do we need to do for this coffee market? We need to have uh, a programmable piece. Um, so obviously that we've seen the implementation of things like puck presses and Uber milks mm-hmm. um, to help speed up workflow and consistency. Um, I know, I know people won't want to hear this, but what, what people should be aiming for is just a, a, an elevated McDonald's offering. And I don't say that as lightly, but you know, if you go to any McDonald's around the world and order something off their menu, it's going to be within a very small percentage, the same everywhere you go. And the problem with some coffee places who want to make everything as manual as possible is while their ceiling may be higher in what they can produce, the floor is a lot lower. And what we have to do is is actually be predictable and be consistent to actually be busier and more successful. I actually think in five to ten years, McDonald's will have – McDonald's Australia, uh, McCafe, will have a, a you know – on par offering of coffee that sort of the specialty specialty coffee industry does because because of the amount of technology that's coming out that they'll actually be able to afford to buy and implement. Absolutely. Look, it, right now they are the biggest coffee company in Australia. They're serving what two hundred and fifty thousand cups a day that range, um, and it is they've got pretty much the the highest market and. Now they've got that opportunity to actually, you know, can level up the quality. They've already got the they've already got the captive market. Mm. Um, whereas obviously a lot of the you know independent shops or you know smaller level shops have kind of got that battle uphill. Um, whereas they can actually you know remove any of that sort of predictability. I guess when I moved into coffee wholesale, not to jump ahead too much, when I started going around from venue to venue to tie coffees, and how differently the same product could be produced. It finally then made me realise why people pick the same shop to go back to and because it's predictable. Mm. Um, and that's I think that's actually a really important learning lesson. It's like, okay, why does why is this shop down the road busier than I am? And it's not better than I am, but it's like but the difference it's the difference between their best and worst might be smaller. Mm. Maybe it's the person that they like more. It's that's what you've got to think outside of just just product and just that. There's the, and there's You've, you've worked for some large coffee companies and some that aren't necessarily specialty as well. Um, what's some of the work and that goes into making their sort of blends products, if you like, um, behind the scenes that, you know, you, was, you said to me that uh, one of the previous companies you worked for, you were just amazed at and really impressed by the attention to detail that they put into making a product that ultimately majority work, ends up on a supermarket shelf uh, and they sell a lot, obviously, and then there's a significant, not insignificant amount of wholesale sort of accounts of theirs as well, in, you know, cafes and whatnot. Um, what's some of the work that goes on behind the scenes to make like a McCafe or, you know, some of the, some of the bigger cafe, uh, coffee company blends? Like, Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the first thing starts with actually getting a consistent green product. So having long-term relationships and obviously working for bigger companies, I actually was always proud to say that they had a a real positive impact from crop to cup than some smaller roasters can. And like, I get it that like you want to buy the best coffee and that's fantastic. But if a particular farm produces 50 tonnes of coffee, but you buy a single 30 kilo bag of their best stuff, but leave 29 and a half tonne behind, you're not 
helping that farmer. So being able to have relationships with farmers, um, that's the first point. It's The raw product has to be quite good. Now, while some of these people, like you said, aren't specialty, the green coffee is just as good. Um, then processes and things like, we're talking things like nitrogen flushing, uh, this particular company that you mentioned, like basically once the coffee went into a roaster, it never saw oxygen again until the end user opened the bag. And obviously you, that completely slows down any sort of oxidation or staling process. This coffee is essentially fresh until you open it. Uh, obviously vacuum sealing. Um, the sort of 20 to 25 quality assurance te- checks from everything from um, solubility, caffeine percentage, um, extraction yield, uh, all of these things are tested all the time. And that's everything from roasted coffee, pre-ground coffee, coffee pods. And it's like you're pumping out 100 tonne of coffee, roasted coffee a week, and from bag one to bag 110,000 is exactly the same. It's, it's it's a marvel. Like they actually have that small width of consistency. Is It's like it's really – it's awesome to watch. Yeah, and like I, I sort of – I say this a lot – to friends privately, I think there's a lot that the specialty industry can learn from big coffee business sort of thing. Like a lot of people sort of look upon it negatively, but, um, and you know, some of it is probably accurate. And I think a lot of it is, uh, some of it is misunderstood as well. So, you know, there's, there's probably more we can look to. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the one thing, uh, about this particular coffee, as you said, is also not only was it, heavily on retail supermarket shelves but in a fair amount of cafes. I know we'll get to there, but the infrastructure and the investment that a coffee company needs to put in to make sure their wholesale coffee is actually delivered correctly. I think people get a bad rap because they've had a bad coffee made of that coffee and all of a sudden it's like, I'm put off that coffee for life. It's not actually anything wrong with the coffee itself. It's just the end execution. And so if we talk about what's the end users, uh, what's the downside of of not embracing some of this automation? And that's it there. Like you can like when coffee wholesalers are selling their coffee, they're not selling a completed product. Whether that's going to a home user or to a cafe, it's not like a bottle of wine where you just open it and you're ready to go or a can of Coke, <laughs> mm. chocolate bar. It's not complete. Someone still was still more people that have to influence what happens to the final product. And Coke and chips and chocolate bars and all that stuff—they're nitrogen flushed, yeah, like a lot of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Like there's there's obviously you know there's you know people complain because you get a bag of chips and it's half full. It's like you do realize like it's filled with nitrogen, so then it one doesn't go stale because if it was all full of air, it would go stale or well, oxygen. Sorry, nitrogen makes up seventy eight percent of the air, so it's air. But also that. The, the gas in the bag of chips protects the chips from being crushed. Like mm. it's – that's why there's a net weight on the bag, not a gross weight. So, yeah, like that's – it always makes me laugh. Yeah, the, the, these technologies that other industries have, have really embraced, I can see it really benefiting coffee. And I know we've touched a little bit on it with sort of the sub-zero side of things and how more high-end coffee can be – get to more people. But, yeah, absolutely, I think that's – I think if people can start – look, I'd love to see more people be open book about some of these things and, like, what they do um, because I feel like it can benefit a lot of people. All right, we need to get back onto the automation yeah. topic again because um, I, I could literally talk to you for hours and hours and hours about this. We do sometimes. Yeah. We, we do. Um, what are some of the pieces of technology that you work with now that you think – more people could take better better advantage of, and I think one sort of topic that we one sort of a, uh, example that we spoke about during the week was uh, the EK forty three. Yep. Yes. A lot of cafe specialty cafes think they need one, um, and you know maybe they do, 
But there's also a lot out there that probably have one on the bench that only ever sees decaf, you know, two or three times a day. Maybe a batch brew sort of thing. Yep. EK43s are, there's like a shortage of them now. Like it's, 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 oh, yeah. they're, they're, it's hard to get. Uh, they cost a lot of money and, you know, nothing against Malconi. You know, they're, they're producing something very great um, and don't take this as, as if I'm trying to get le- uh, less Malconi products sold. But like, um, you know, what, what are some other grinders out there, for example, that could do that job? that a, a, someone opening a cafe right now who doesn't want to necessarily go down that route, they could buy. Yeah, so I got to play with a grinder the other day. The model is the DF64. Um, the company Coffee Tech, uh, which is a New Zealand-based company, is importing them. I know, again, James Hoffman, the coffee god of the world, <laughs> uh, had did a review on this. But, um, these there's a, there's a number of these um, sort of... Do, uh, re- retentionless single dose grinders out in the market that'll actually work well in these settings. Um, you know, you're looking at a quarter to a third of the price of an EK. And I guess what you need to do is actually start, like it's all well and good to have like, I want to do this amazing coffee program, but you've got to start, if you treat it like a business and you start saying, well, what's my return on investment on this grinder? Well, can I get the same product out of something that's not going to cost me as much? And that's what you sort of have to be thinking about. All right, I've got a few. I've got a few others that I want to yep. talk about here. Uh, automatic tampers. Yep. All right. So you know the puck press is like the iPhone of, yep. uh, of automatic tampers. What What are some other ones that are really good? So we've got um, the T one hundred, which is essentially it looks very similar to a puck press. Got that same sort of profile look to it. Does essentially the same thing. Um, easy tamp. Easy. The Easy V three tamp is really cool. There's some some really good features on it where you can just absolutely juice up the actual tamping on it to like 50 kilos. I even got to play with one that was actually rated up to a hundred kilos of tamping. Uh, yeah. And so you grind super coarse with that, but no, look, obviously uh, there are probably, those are probably the three main ones in the market. Um, as I said, the, the busier a coffee bar, the more people touching your coffee, the less variability you have. If you start infiltrating a, an automatic tamper. And I think that's just a, you know, that's just should be a given. My next one is milk dispenser. Yeah. Um, so there was something called the Moo Bar that I worked on a few years ago. Yeah, great idea in theory. Execution, not so much. Um, the Juggler is a very good system yep. uh, for what it does, but I think it's not servicing the industry as well as it probably could be because of something like the Uber Milk. Yes. Yeah, the Uber Milk for me is I love them. Absolutely love them. Cannot recommend them enough. They should probably pay me for how much I pump yeah. them up. Uh, I should probably get a commission for how much I pump them up. And by the way, I don't. I don't have any commercial relationship with them. I know I mentioned I've mentioned them on this podcast before, but God, I love them. Um, and it's probably the, for me, it's probably the piece of equipment that's not a coffee machine that can help a cafe the most. Yeah. We in Australia, yeah, absolutely in Australia. So we'll, we'll, let's, let's focus on Australia for a second. We talk about coffee so much, and yet we probably I've probably missed the fact that ninety two percent of all drinks served in cafes have a ver- version of milk in them, mm. uh, and something like eighty percent of that is dairy, and yeah. then, then the rest is yeah. yeah, yeah. So how do you speed up? Like so, while we love the coffee side of things, your typical twelve ounce, I hate the. 12 ounces, not 12 ounces, but yeah, 12 ounce uh, takeaway milk coffee has probably 40 grams of espresso and about 240 grams of steamed milk in it. So there's still, we are really 
selling flavoured milk drinks, um, which when done well are fantastic. Like, oh, I've got no problem with that. My favourite <laughs> beverage yeah. of the coffees. Yeah, and it's cool now that people are allowed to like, like non-black coffee drinks. Like, I'm a black coffee drinker and I don't do it ironically or to be cool. I just – what I prefer. But it, there was definitely a time when I was younger that I was like, you get a little bit um, – Again, I will tell this story really quickly. I said about Amy Cleary. So Amy Cleary was my barista at Three Backs Full. She was a soy drinker. The first vintage of Nikise came out. and We mm. absolutely love this coffee. Now in 2022, we can say a natural Ethiopian is actually a really good coffee to put milk with. But in 2010, it wasn't cool. We did that and she loved it, right? And she went to another cafe and saw it on the menu, ordered it like that, and they basically told her that she could not have it. And it's like, and they said, oh, it won't work. It'll curdle. It's like, she's like, I drink this at work. Like it's a coffee that was costing us, you know, $100 a kilo in 2010. And like we were making staffies and soys with it and she loved it. And like, and the fact that, and then it's like, that's where I was like, this is the bit that we've missed is like the consumers want what they want. You've got to like help them out. And 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 so while while I think that some of the coffee stuff is great, yeah, Uber Milk is absolutely the number one thing that I think that pretty much every cafe should have because it'll standardise your milk steaming, uh, which is what you need to be doing. Just sorry, just lightning in the background. Yeah, nice one. Uh, just adding to the... Uh, Theatrics. Adding to the theatrics. Um, no, and so, yeah, so I think the fact that an Uber milk will really um, make consistent and speed up your production of probably your most selling drink, I think it's absolutely vital that you have something or something similar on your bar. Having said that, love the Uber milk. It is expensive, though. Yeah. Uh, which is obviously a barrier for people to get them. I would like to say, and I know there's some, um, there's some other milk dispensers, yep. not things that steam milk, dispensers, um, that dispense steam milk um, that are hitting the market. I haven't really worked on any yet, but I'd love to see some more competition in the space. Um, and on Uber Milk, if I were to have any feedback on it, I'd love for it to be able to do multiple different milks, if yep. possible, in the future. I'm sure they'll get there. Um, and I'd love to actually see it a bit smaller. They're huge. Um, and they do they need to be that big? I don't know. But And, yeah, they cost like $11,000 Australian or something. So I'd like to be see a bit more. It's the number one that I've worked on so far. Would totally recommend a lot of people getting it. And if you do, you can probably knock a staff member off. Uh, as in, like you know, you can do you can do your daily operations with less staff. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, so I'd love to see a bit more competition in the space. Oh, absolutely. And I know what people say about cutting staff, but I guess what I say to it: if you have three staff making thirty dollars an hour, that and look, I say that because that is a decent barista will make that in Australia. I know that's not applicable across the world, but thirty dollars an hour is pretty standard for a really good barista and that's $90 an hour for three baristas. If you paid two baristas $35 an hour, one, you're going to get a better quality of applicant because they're already getting paid more. But now you're only spending $70 an hour. So you're actually making your business more profitable by paying people more. And that's the thing that I like to think of, like how can the automation do it? It's not here to take people's jobs. It's actually here to pay people more because if you can produce more drinks and create more revenue for your business – there's more work there. Well, on the subject of it taking at people's jobs, this is kind of where we're at right now because we're issuing a staffing shortage yep. and uh, and we need p- pieces of technology to be able to sort of fill that gap. And I, I really feel like automation embraced properly in a harmonious approach will do that job. Absolutely. And I know you said that, you know, these these pieces of equipment are expensive and that's usually the barrier of entry for a lot of people. 
Um, and then I guess that's what I love what I do now. Um, I'm trying to knock down those doors, making it a lot more approachable, um, you know, without getting too much into it. But my core product is obviously equipment rentals. Um, no, so, let's get into it. I want right. to get into it. All right. So something like an Uber Milk would cost a cafe just under or around about $20 a day to rent. Mm. Um, the reason why I think that's a really important product is, again, like we're talking about a labor shortage and a shortage of people. I want you to treat this automation like another staff member. You wouldn't pay your staff member their entire salary up front. You pay them weekly. You pay them fortnightly. By doing the payments like that on a piece of equipment, uh, you're actually, again, you start to make money from that piece of equipment before you're having to outlay that at capital. And that's what I think is really important. And that becomes like, okay, this piece of equipment, like you said, 11, 13,000. It's like, well, okay, that's a huge number. I can break that down into chunks and I can actually start making money from it. And that really is probably the main focus of what I want to do is like I want to partner with people so I actually get more of this stuff out there, actually make their businesses profitable. And so how can you do that? Like, you know, what would you like to see more customers coming to you? Like what are some of the issues that customers come to you with currently that you think you could fix through what you do? Um, well, obviously, yeah, again, the issues of consistency, obviously, um, when you have expos like mice and the food service and fine food expos, all this equipment gets put out on display. Everyone loves it. They're like, this is exciting. Go back and say, how much is this? And once you find out how much it is, it can be, it can be daunting. The, you know, trying to raise that capital or having that spare is, is, and is the, the cash flow as well. Yeah, absolutely. Eating into your cash flow of which the margins, like people think that the margins in restaurants and particularly high-end restaurants is high. It's really small. It's really razor thin uh, because we do pay our staff well in Australia. Well, there are some people that don't, but they get in trouble. They get found out pretty quickly. Um, but no, but there are people, uh, we need to be able to um, open that door. So most people will come to me with that sort of problem. There's a lot of people who have outdated equipment, um, so we love to help people with upgrades, getting them into the latest piece of technology so they're not sort of behind. And, I mean, you talked about uh, the puck press being the iPhone and, you know, obviously there's, you know, people with their current iPhone and like the next one comes out, you want to get it straight away. And I guess the flexibility of my product is great because someone gets a product, gets a machine, and then two years, like 18 months later, the brand new one comes out and it's like, you just take the new one. So it's kind of like a phone plan in a way. So you can get a rental and then 18 months later get the newer edition and have no cost attached with yeah, exchanging we, the old goods? We or? do 12-month rentals. So, yeah. Mm. So, But if you want to upgrade at any time, we go, like, you want to spend more money? Absolutely. We mm. will do that. But, yeah, so the idea is obviously we I focus, and, again, having a long-term background in coffee, you get some people who've got a very small venue and they want – the, all the bells and whistles. It's like well, you kind of work with them to say, well, what do you need as opposed to what do you want? It's always great to have like aspiration and all that sort of stuff, but it's got to make financial sense. Like if a venue is only doing eight kilos a week, I wouldn't suggest that they go get a three group KB90 for 30 grand like, and finance that because they're not going to make money. Mm. So it's about, it's about partnering and, and actually being really flexible in what people need rather than like – Oh, I saw this really cool thing. It's like, and that comes to your point. It's like, okay, what are the what are the uh, competitors in the puck press space? Those three that we talked about, the T100, the Easy Tamp, and the puck press, they're all sort of at different price points. So there is an entry level, there is a mid price, and there's a more expensive one, and everyone can actually 
pick and choose what's going to be suitable and appropriate for their venue. Mm. Couldn't could uh, it's really interesting talking about that. And you and I have sort of had this. Uh, we spoke about it yesterday. Uh, yeah, before you got to Melbourne, we had a phone call. And I was just ringing you to bounce this idea off you is that I'd love to do a pop-up where we, it's not necessarily about doing frozen coffee. It's about showcasing the best of the best technology to make great coffee. And like, I'm talking, we get, you know, one of the things that we haven't touched on yet that I really want to touch on is grind by weight grinders. Um, Then you you get something like a puck press or, you know, tamper, um, you know, going on a machine that has automatic brew ratio scale, so it doesn't work by volume, it actually cuts it off when you uh, uh, when you reach a pre-programmed yield. Then you go to something like an uh, Uber Milk. Then you have next to it one of the new uh, milk steamers, like a Wally or a Perfect Moose or something like that. Yep. Um, and then scales. And it's like we should do that. Absolutely. And as soon as you said that, I'm like, that sounds awesome. Obviously, for the pop up tomorrow, you saw some incredible coffee. Um, and we will be making, and we obviously made some earlier, and it was like all tasting really good. Um, and we're sort of sitting there going, well, what if we just limited the menu but focused on the kit? And I'm like, that's cool. That's like, it is actually progressive, and I think that's where we need to be going with this coffee thing is just actually like, well, this is, it's all well and good. I don't think, I, as much as I love what we do with the Sub-Zero thing, it's not, uh, it's probably not your everyday um, proposition at this stage. No, and I love the idea of like, can we do basically like sub zero automatic? It's it's going to be so cool. Oh, and you know, like I, I get, you don't want to do the same thing on repeat all the no. time. You need to grow, and you know, for me, I need to be curious. I love doing the whole frozen coffee thing and introducing new coffees to Australia and to, to and coffees to new people as well. But I also have this side of me that uh, it's got, there's a niche that I need to scratch, and that is like finding out the best coffee equipment and technology. Just is really starting to sort of storm out there as well, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, we'll carry on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'd just love coffee equipment manufacturers, suppliers, whatever. If you're listening to this podcast, you need to slide into my DMs, into the Sub-Zero Coffee DMs, and, you know, hit us up with some equipment you want to lend us for this next, this next pop-up. It's going to happen sometime next year. It's going to be epic. I really want to do it. I'm, I'm going to have to do it now that I've made this. Yeah. I've gone on this spiel, but you know, I I, I just really want to do a, a pop up where we just you know embrace as much technology as we can. Have like two or three coffees that are you know really good, but get as many people as we can in there and showcase some awesome products and you know what people should be doing in the future. Yeah, I think the way you, the way we sort of talked about it yesterday was fantastic because you're like. These coffees, as much as we've got some great coffees, and obviously doing the last pop-up around WBC and having the coffee that Anthony won WBC with was awesome that people could come and try that. But the world and the coffee world is small now, um, and everyone has access to these coffees. As you go back to when I started, like like I said, 14 years ago, um, the, the coffee we had was old by the time we got – and that was like getting it through a wholesaler. So now it's like you can order – I mean, I've ordered coffees from roasters in the States and Europe. Like, it's so cool. Like, it can get here in a pretty, pretty, pretty quick fashion. I got some coffee from Colonna Coffee, like, you know, a few weeks ago that we're serving tomorrow, and it took five days to get here from England. I was like, wow. So good, right? And the – so, yeah, we need to have that point of difference that's not just great coffee because, again, it's accessible for people. I still think a vintage menu would be really cool, but I think the whole piece of, like, okay, like, what does one coffee taste like? through all this different equipment. 
Um, and obviously, like, I guess even for what I've experienced over the last six weeks, I've had, I reckon I would have had 10 different versions of that El Diviso now. Mm. And, like, good coffee, really cool, but it's, 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 it's actually really cool to actually see multiple versions of it, mm. different people's roast interpretation, how you age it. But now it's like, okay, what have we said? Let's focus on one coffee and just, like, what does it taste like through this grinder and this preparation? What does it taste like made on this machine that's set differently? And it's such a cool concept because it will actually really make a real impact in what you actually do in your day-to-day. Should we shake on it right now? We need to commit to doing okay, it. Done. We're live. <laughs> We're shaking on that. Uh, skin on skin right there. Um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to do that one day. And, you know, if you do want to collaborate and you've got some good tech, hit me up. All right. But, uh, while we're on the topic of Grind by Weight Grinders, yep. let's talk about Grind by Weight, grind by weight Grinders. Let's do it. Absolutely. Um, best one on the market that I know of and that I've actually used is the um, Malconi. Yeah, they've got the E65 GBW and they've got their E80 G- Grind by Weight now as well. Yep. Fantastic products. Absolutely. Um, yeah, look, again, obviously round the traps a few times. Obviously, we both work together with Ross Quayle, who's now part of Hemro, which is the Malconic. Who's been on this podcast, and I'm going to ask him back again. You need to get Ross back on. Ross is one of the best, if not the best. Um, He was uh, was pretty cool to hit up me up uh, probably mid sort of first lockdown and gave me one of those first uh, E65 grind by weights to test out and had a little bit of a play with it. I'm like, this is great. And my only problem, and I actually told one of your guys off on your stand at Mice, was uh, where the load cell is on that grinder being under the forks. And obviously it's pretty much barista thing to collapse your coffee on it. And that's a real problem I can see with that grinder is people like collapsing into it to actually, you know, make sure their their dose doesn't fall over the top of their basket. But I'm like, the load cell's directly underneath it. Uh, but in saying that, super fast, really accurate, uh, really cool grinder. I think the first one in the market was probably the Mythos 2. Um, probably really didn't get a good go in there. Obviously, we've seen Mythos even pivot a little bit away from that with what they, the MY75 and what was actually, you know, the sponsored grinder for WBC. Um, other ones that we've got a chance to play with, um, obviously the... Marky Bar? The Marky Bar. The Marky Bar Izaga W, um, which is a um, super cool grinder. Basically, uh, it grinds a single dose into a chamber. You stick your portafilter in it and then drops that accurate dose into the portafilter. I want to play with that. It's really cool. Uh, super accurate. Load cells up the top, so you have none of that problems that people can break it. Um, Does it make good coffee? Yeah, makes really tasty coffee. And could you use it, like, uh, some grinders for me get a reputation of being something you'd only use for black coffee or something you'd only use for milk. Could you use it, is it versatile enough to use for espresso and milk? Absolutely. I think um, it is definitely something that can um, be used for espresso and milk. Uh, It is a flat burr grinder, has really great clarity of flavour, but it's definitely something that I've seen work well in, you know, even in busy shops. Uh, The fact that you can set it to grind the next dose once you dispense or you can grind to order is really cool because then if you are a busy venue, it's essentially just grinds the next dose. So you put the handle in, drops the dose into the basket. As you're going to tamp and then brew that one, the next dose is just sitting there waiting for you. So you just drop it in and it just really speeds up that workflow. I'd, I'd love to see Mazza make one as well. Like, oh, absolutely. And I'm sure they will. But, like, the the Rover E was just, like, an absolute workhorse. It just They just don't break. You know, they, they are stronger than humans, or the Hulk for that matter. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, I reckon they're the type of company that will probably work, you know, move heaven and earth to build a, a grinder like that. Yeah, absolutely. And this is um, 
Yeah, and then this is, I think that would be great. Obviously, um, the Rover E had such a monopoly on the market for so long that they really didn't improve anything until the S came out, what, 2019? And just some of the improvements they made uh, from that and the where the, the fan's located and how it overheats and this, even the cleaning process. I mean, anyone that's ever worked on a Rover and try to pull that thing apart and trying to put it back together now, it's like, you know, literally you could clean the inside of that grinder in, you know, less than five minutes. Um, yeah, the other grind-by-weight grinder, um, which is from the same manufacturer as that DF64 single-dose grinder, it's called the ZF64W grind-by-weight. Um, got to have a little play on that the other day. Um, the way it's set up, it's um, got the scales underneath the porter filter, so you hit go and it kind of runs it up as you do it. It's really accurate. Did maybe 50 doses. Every single one was exactly 20 grams as set. Um it can also work by time. You can just unplug the scale uh, and just make it a grind by time. Uh, really lovely espresso. Didn't make any milk coffees with it, but it was like super clean, um, 64 mil burr. So you same as your same as your mythos, same as your majors. So really lovely. Um, I'd just maybe just be wary that whether I mean again, like I'm not a grinder manufacturer, but I'd just be concerned on whether a conical burr grinder would work in a grind by weight setting for accuracy, but. Hopefully someone can prove me wrong on that, and that'd be fantastic. Yeah, no, I'm sure they will. Um, are we, have you got anything more you want to say about grind by weight grinders? No, look, I think I think the best thing about that, if you want to go back to, I think one of my eye opening early coffee experiences when people were using Rover Autos um, was we, I guess, uh, tongue in cheek called it working in the sandpit when people were just grinding coffee mounds everywhere, lots of waste. Uh, I know we're going to get to waste, but waste is an important thing. That These grinders are really accurate, and that's what we need to... I know people get stressed out that they're maybe a little bit slower than an old-school grinder, but if you're not remaking coffee because it's accurate, and if you're not wasting coffee, you're going to be much better off in the long run. So mm. I just I think it's a, I think it's definitely more technology gets put into this. I think it's going to be better for everyone. Yeah, and, and, and I'd add to that sort of um, equation, you know, the Uber Milks as well. Like, they, they actually you can program them to dispense a pretty accurate amount of milk every time. So lots, lots less milk wastage as well. And we'll get to that. Um, super automatic coffee machines. Yeah. What do they do? I've never really gone deep on them. Like I, I know about Eversys. Um, I don't really know any others. Um, what, you know, how do they work? What do they do? And what is the future for them? There are some really cool ones. Obviously what most people interaction with your super automatic is in convenience store or petrol station gas station for those international listeners uh where you get where you know the end the customer the end consumer will go up put their cup under it press a button and it dispenses coffee now something like the Eversys has decided that it's not only can it really corner that market into that convenience space but actually have a foot in with how it can contribute within the specialty coffee space um there's a really busy coffee bar in balmain that um, has put one in their bar next to a classic traditional machine to handle its overflow of doing 120 kilos a week in a tiny bar, and and basically you program. It's got a it's you know built-in grinder dispensers. Depending on the model, you can either have milk dispensing or you can have a steam wand. Uh, it basically just does what you need it to do. You look, it's one of those things you. Not anyone can just set it up. You need to set it up properly. The people who develop recipes and the high R&D that you put into it as a coffee company or as, as your end user to, to get it to actually do what you want to do is, is quite a bit of work. But once you've done that, every time you press the button, 
does everything you've programmed to do. Should we try and get one for the, this mystical pop-up we're planning? Oh, absolutely. I yeah. think that's the I think that's the way forward. I think having an absolute super automatic has got to be one of the one of the courses has to be made on the super automatic for sure. Dale Harris, if you're listening, he's an ambassador for him, I yeah. think. Um, you know, pull some strings, mate. You know, mm-hmm. see if you can get it, uh, some moving and shaking happening in Australia. I'm sure you can do it, Dale mm-hmm. Harris, you know, former world Brewster champion, former podcaster on this, you know, make it happen. Um, and just on the Ephesus, like Coles, which is one of our major supermarkets over here, um, Coles Local, so they've got this, like, s- these smaller versions of supermarkets that are in metropolitan areas sort of thing, you'll notice that they have Ephesus machines in Coles Local stores and they've got like one for dairy milk and one for plant milk and stuff like that. Yeah. And like I, I, was, I sat there and I creepily watched one of the staff mm. clean them at the end of the day the other day. I was just like, oh, this process is interesting. He's, he's... So obviously they – even the supermarkets are getting into those sorts of things and they're doing quite a good job at servicing them, managing them. You know, it's great. I love seeing that. Oh, absolutely. And I think the whole idea of like, okay, well, it's funny when you talk about some of these like smaller grocery stores now have, um, I don't know, like the, I know with Woolworths, which is one of the brands here, they, they started being obviously more um, recyclable, more uh, environmental impact. All their shopping carts and trolleys are made from recycled materials, but all their new ones they built all have cup holders in them. And so it's like, what a better way than going up and down the aisles than having a coffee in your hand. It's like, it makes sense. Like they just like, and you, you know, you place them in the right spot within the store, go, Oh, a coffee that's relatively cheap and it actually tastes pretty good. And this will service me as I walk up and down the aisles. It's really smart. It's just another, like we, we, we are in a, you know, got to get something right now kind of, um, you know, lifestyle we are, but it's like, well, why would we, why would we not do this? Mm. So it makes sense. I know there are a couple of Coles locals that attempted actually putting a full like barista coffee setup. Um, some are okay, some haven't worked, but again, it's a staffing thing. How do you find people who want to be, I guess, in the pointy end of specialty coffee, asking them to work in a supermarket? It's hard. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, well, we can div- we can just still deliver the same quality of product, but just have the machine do it. Yeah, and and that's like you know, and that's probably the future of these things. Like, and you imagine like a McDonald's probably using that technology as well, which they probably will in the future. Um, Interesting times, like they, you know, their post mix machines to make soft drinks are all completely automated now. So, oh, yeah. whereas they used to be manual. So, um, you know, just another development. QR codes, yes, I think these are one of the most underutilized things in hospitality of all time. Now, um, or currently, I shouldn't say all time, but um, and the reason why is like you know I get that people want to have things explained to them by. A staff member. So, if it's, say for example, you go into a specialty coffee store, you go into a Sub Zero. Yeah, let's 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 put it in Sub Zero. Um, and I don't really have the resources to, to deliver on this, but let's go ten years from now when I'm <laughs> like I've won the fifty million dollar lotto next week, and you know I've got a great store. But um, you know you you're doing you you're using a QR code, a menu of fifty coffees per se. You know some of them are fifty dollars. For example, let's hypothetically speaking, we're doing $50 cups of coffee and I'm asking people to order it via a QR code. But this is what I haven't seen done really well yet in in coffee. It's probably been done in restaurants, but not in coffee um, that I've seen. What if there was like a completely immersive, unbelievable digital experience that was better than, you know, what I could give you? 
sort of thing. You know, you've got videos of the producer, you've got graphics, graphs, all these sorts of things that explain um, the, 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 the coffee, the product. Um, and then you can order it there and then it's secure for the business because they, they can't yeah. you know, miss out on payment um, and it's quick because you don't have to pay someone to sort of go there. Like, I, th- I think we don't utilise it enough. No, um, I want to, yeah, I'll, I just want to yeah, lean into some of the stuff that, that my ex-wife's done. She was a quality assurance officer for a printing company um, and they were really mucking around with stuff in augmented reality. Um, actually presented that to a coffee company that I was working at and didn't get all over the line. But basically you hover your phone over the coffee bag and it would, could just take you to the farm. You could just do a fully augmented reality experience. This is there. This is available. There are people that there are people that can do this. And it's like, I don't know. Like, again, I was lucky enough that she is, she was always a huge supporter of my coffee journey that when we were at Three Bags Full and we were trying to serve eight, nine coffees, she actually made a whole iPad presentation that we would give to customers about like the coffee farm information. You could just like read this and this is the coffee. And if we had videos or photos, we could attach them. And, and then one day a customer stole the iPad. So then we just didn't do that anymore. But okay. uh, <laughs> that sucks. But yeah, but like the idea, well, that's, that's the idea. That's the benefit of the QR code. Cause yeah. they're using their own phone. Absolutely. So steal your own phone. Yeah, I dare you. Steal your own phone. No, I think it's an amazing opportunity. I think that is, uh, I think people are now used to some of that process. Obviously most of the ordering happens on that QR code stuff. Now I, you know, I, you know, I remember bringing it up in a marketing meeting many years ago at a coffee company and was told that QR codes were silly. Um, so happy that I was proved wrong on that. Sorry, I shouldn't sound so like that, but no. Um, no, I just think there's an opportunity there that I think we can – there are so many markets and there are so many places around the world that really do lean in on this technology and that doesn't mean you're going to get less of an experience. It's an opportunity to get a different experience. Now, yeah. it's not going to be for everything, and I don't think it's going to be for everyone, but the idea that I could see that we could actually set up two side-by-side Sub-Zeros, it's like you've got Sub-Zero manual, Sub-Zero automatic. You pretty much get the same coffee at the same price. One of it's driven by gear, and one of it's driven by some people, and you'd be surprised that I feel like maybe your first or second days at it, you'd probably manual would win from just a sales point of view, but I think the longer you did it, the automated would win because you would just be able to produce at a high level much more like consistently. And I, I actually should say I, I collaborated with Honor Coffee um, here in Melbourne on one on, on an experience like this where we had like we got these placemats made um, and they had just take uh, we sort of uh, I was working for a venue called Abacus at the time and yep. we agreed to start using Honor Coffee um, and we wanted to sort of launch a frozen menu there using the resources that we had. So you, there's, it's a very busy cafe, um, you know, hundred over a hundred seats sort of thing. Um, and then you've got, um, you've got really talented baristas, but they're, they're kind of stuck behind the bar. There's not much opportunity because it's so busy to sort of go mingle with your customers and talk them through frozen coffees. And it was a bit, it was a bit unfair to expect our floor staff who, you know, uh, a lot of the time, there it's it's a university job. You know, they're doing it while they're do- getting through university. Not particularly passionate, so I can't expect them to have this big spiel about you know these amazing coffees that they can deliver to customers to deliver the experience that I want that I wanted them to deliver. So we made these placemats of all coffees from uh, Jamison Savage. So one was uh, there was an espresso. Uh, I think it was called oh, Fusion or something, um, and that was like a washed uh, CM. Then there was a uh, coffee from Ficker Iris, which was a filter, opal profile, and then a milk-based from uh, Morgan Estate, uh, which was called Ether or something. And 
three unbelievable coffees. But what we had was uh, a QR code for each of them, um, for each coffee on this placemat. And so you ordered all three, but then you could scan each QR code, get linked to a new video where Jamison Savage actually explained it. Yeah. It was incredible. And then they did the same thing with uh, with Matt Winton's coffee when he won the World Brewers Cup. So you you know scan it, you get a video of Matt Winton. Incredible. Incredible idea. Um, and, you know, that's something I want to see taken to a whole new level in the future. Oh, absolutely. And I think that you make that coffee world smaller. This is... In the end, it's a commodity and an agricultural product, so it's got many hands that touch it, and it's so good that we can actually give, you know, some of that highlight back to people who've put in, you know, years, decades into actually getting this cup of coffee to people. Mm. All right, let's move on to the second. Have you got any concluding remarks on automation? No, look, obviously I think we're moving forward to a place where we need to use it all. I think there's an opportunity for people to dabble in it a little bit more. I don't think it is f- – I, look, I'd like to say it's for everyone. I don't think everyone will utilise it. I think people will think. But I think there's an opportunity for people to pick and choose what they want to take out of it. So if it is a tamper but not a milk solution, if it's a milk solution but not a tamper, that line up with a piece of equipment that will help you grow your business, and that's really important. So I just think don't be scared of it. Really embrace it. Uh, use it as a tool to actually help with you, not as something that works against you. And the more you actually work with it, the better you will be off. And the more people doing it, as you said, if you've got particular pieces of equipment that have a bit of a monopoly in the market, the more people using it, it's going to actually engage with more of these manufacturers to go, well, okay, that's a big market. Let's make a competitor. Mm. And I think that works well for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Competition in the space works well. And, you know, hopefully we see cheaper pieces of equipment that are essential to sort of growth in the future. Next part of the podcast, wastage. Uh, I know this is – you hate wastage. You really hate wastage. And, you know, this is something I really want to talk to you about because you've been very vocal since I've known you um, talking about it. What are some of the biggest areas of wastage in coffee and hospitality more broadly? Let's just do the statistic that I always say to people in hospitality is that 35% of all goods, on average, of all goods going into a food service business in Australia end up in the bin. 35? Yeah. Wow. So about 10% of it don't ever make it to customers and about 25% of it is just people cannot consume it. It's too much. Mm. Serving size is the biggest problem we have as far as like a food side of things. Um, And again, I'll use an example that I always use like you know, went to the, it was the Box Hill RSL. This is probably more than 10 years ago. And they had a, a lamb shank special and they were serving two lamb shanks. And it's like, this is enough food for four people. It's like, <laughs> but it was, it was still reasonably priced being the venue. And I'm like, you cut that portion in half, make it not half price. You make it 70% of the price. You sell two of them, you make more money. People get put off by the fact, if you don't finish a dish, even if you loved it, your memory will be, I didn't finish it. So you won't order it again because you're like, oh, that was too much. Now, there are some people who are consumers. Absolutely. There are people who are like, well, you know, there are people who complain all the time. I know doing stuff with Pack when we did the Precision Cup range and we're like trying to serve, you know, some really small takeaway coffees. And people are like, this is tiny. That's going to be tiny for something. But there are, they sh- that's where multiple sizes can work for people. People were just really careless. Um, again, I was lucky in my position to get one of Australia's first jug rinses, and I just think of how we've treated jug rinses um, of like how careless occasionally bruises can be. They'll just put any amount of milk, steam it, pour half of it down the sink, 
um, do their design and their latte art and then rinse the rest and then move on to the next jug. And it's part of a training piece. I always go to people, it's like before you actually do that, put a dump jug on the side and see how much you're wasting and you can actually extrapolate how much money the business is actually throwing down the drain. Now, you get some people who tell me, well, if a customer's paid for it, I've made my money. But I'm like, but it's not the point. If you've thrown it out, you actually, it's actually going to hurt your long-term sales because people will have a bad experience from throwing something out or anything like that. And as far as coffee goes, obviously we've seen technology actually help with that where it become grind-by-weight grinders and all these sort of advancements in how that and Uber Milk would be able to program it. And obviously even with our Sub-Zero Coffee program, you see so many people now utilising vintage coffees or I think one of my um, routines for National Brewers Cup was actually had a coffee that was roasted I think eight months before comp. It was just frozen up until the time because I wanted to be mindful that with that particular coffee I didn't want to do a million different roasts and throw out a million different coffees um, because I wanted to be conserving of like – of this finite product. Uh, I think that if you can start to consider some of those things, and I think a lot of people have thought that way when the lockdowns happened, when people had to move away from uh, dine-in to takeaway options, it's like, well, how much fluff do we need outside of this plate? What can we, what do we have to put that's in a takeaway that makes it, you know, achievable, accessible? And people don't see, people can see the value of dining in because they see there's there's service and there's experience added onto it. But when you get takeaway, it's literally you are just the food and just the product, just the coffee. And it's like, okay, well, how much of this have I got? And if you've got wastage and you throw stuff out, and it's like, it's just, you know, like I said, it just it just spirals out of control. Yeah, well, you take that milk example for, mm-hmm. for a moment. If you, say, for example, you know, you lost a litre to wastage a day, which is probably not... You know, that's probably actually a realistic statistic, right, uh, in, in a lot of coffee shops yep. in Melbourne. A litre a day, 365 litres, that, what's that? Divide that by two, that's 100 and – you're the mass man, 100 and uh, – So, yeah, so look, look, I think the – yeah, like, look, a litre a day is actually really conservative. Given that if you're getting, what, six coffees out of every litre, if you're doing a couple hundred coffees – Look, I've done, I've done, when I've done this wastage thing and I saw a, ca- a cafe do, I think they had maybe three litres of wastage and we re- worked out that, that if you do that, that's a 1,000 litres a year and, you know, we'll say on average it's probably $2 a litre is an easy one. It's a couple of grand just in that wastage. You can probably save somewhere, a bigger, busy, really busy cafes could probably save somewhere between three and $5,000 a year if they were 100% accurate. Um on their milk, I don't think everyone's going to be 100% accurate, but it's like, you know, if you can get 80% of the way, 80% of 5,000 is 4,000. So this is what you – it's just being really conscious of what you're actually doing and what you're putting out there. Um, and, and you multiply that by all the cafes in Australia. That's yeah, quite a lot of money. Absolutely. Lost opportunity. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a – what I was to say, something like, you know, I think, you know, it was in the billions of, of food that goes end up in landfill just from – just not being consumed and it's just like again we don't have infinite product this stuff will just run out Mm -hmm. we need to be conscious of what's actually happening and again ironically if you can be a little bit conscious about it you'll actually be a better business you'll actually be more profitable by again you don't want to go ripping people off right you don't want to be under serving or whatever but you want to be conscious of like okay if that dish is coming back and we're scraping the plates and we're, you know, we're, you know, if you go back, you go back a house into, a, you know, into a dish area in any sort of 
high turnover cafe or restaurant and see how quickly their food waste bin fills up. It's like, okay, like what could have we done there? And I said plenty of cafes that I worked in, the easiest thing they ever did was that they reduced how many pieces of toast you got on breakfast, you know, and automatically you get grief from customers. But it's like if you just go, well, we'll give you the extra piece of toast for free, right? We don't care or we'll charge for it because it's with them. But it's like how many times did an extra piece of toast come back because the customer didn't eat it? Like, mm. you know, eggs on toast and you get two giant pieces of toast. Like, well, this could have been on one. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's just about being mindful and being – and, you know, again, if your ingredients are authentic, you don't need to fill with filler. You can just, you know, put less of quality on there and it'll be better. Mm. still be satiated and happy. Yeah, and one big sort of thing that I see coming up is, like, a lot of coffee gets wasted yeah. in the coffee industry uh, for various different reasons. You know, you screw up a shot, you accidentally grind it at a certain grind setting or for whatever reason. But um, – and all all up, it would add up to a lot. You know, the, you order too much, and then yeah. you know, degasses, and then you, you, like I've seen people chuck whole kilos of coffee out. I mean, you could make some cold brew out of it. You could make some tiramisu, plenty of stuff. Um, but looking into the future, climate change is you know the the global warming uh, is increasing. You know, the the average temperature or, or something is going up, um, and. Uh, coffee production is year on year. It's it's fluctuating. Like I think this year we're expecting a big harvest out of Brazil. Last year I think we got a bad one. Um, so there was coffee shortages. It was down over thirty percent. Yeah, on year on year average, and that was due to some really unseasonable frost. Mm. Um, this year we've got better things. But in saying that, as Brazil bounces back, uh, Colombia's had heavy rainfall at harvest time, and they're probably going to be down fifteen twenty percent. Mm. And they're the Third of the third biggest producing country behind Brazil Vietnam and Vietnam. And, yep. Yeah. So, you know, those things, like you said, it's fluctuating. Um, obviously, now, particularly where we are in Australia, we are well f- from a uh, wholesale production, you know, commerciability thing. We're not a producing country. We do produce coffee, but not enough to be sustainable for what we consume. Mm. Um, we are still relying on. Um, transport and logistics to get coffee here. And all of that is going up. Mm. Fuel, all that sort of stuff. Everything costs more to get the product here. And plus we're quite a distance away from a lot of countries yeah. as well. We're, we're a continent, we're an entire country continent. I think the only one in the world. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, we've got some challenges here. But where I'm going with this is that I had a really insightful conversation with Christopher Hendon. It might have been on the podcast, actually, uh, talking about mass green storage. And I'm talking about getting, like, tons and tons of coffee and putting them in giant commercial freezers, like where it's, you know, racking, you know, five or six racks high yep. of, of coffee, giant freezers, you know. It's he sort of painted it to me. It's actually quite cost effective to do that. Um, and then you know, say for example, you're a uh, a McCafe, for example, um, and for whatever reason you decide that you need to have a stockpile or an emergency amount of coffee for uh, year and year. So kind of like a reserve, like you know, the government has a fuel reserve. Yeah. Um, and maybe a McCafe wants to store away. You know, uh, I don't know what's a, what's a big number. Uh, a thousand tons yep. of coffee just in reserve to to deal with contingencies. Can they do that nowadays? Like, do you know of storage facilities or the tech, the the know how to do this? And you know, the, I can't remember the exact numbers, but Christopher Hendon quoted it to me as if it was you know it's actually quite feasible. It can be. Obviously, you've got to then uh, weigh up the energy costs for 
holding something at such a low temperature. You're not sitting coffee in ambient, which is, again, there's a lot of places, particularly in the southern Australia, like in Melbourne, like we've got we got pretty decent climate to hold things. But you could have like solar on the roof and it's sustainable. Yep, absolutely. And that's where, again, people have to think about how they're actually building their next factories, whether it be storage or whether it's the way they build their roasting equipment and, you know, what sort of usage on our natural resources uh, we actually use. I think it's a really good thing. I think obviously people now are mindful that they're not bringing green in like week to week to then obviously roast and get out. Obviously people try to forecast uh, you know, whether it be four, six, 12 months into the future. Um, again, things like nitrogen flushing, uh, you can nitrogen flush green so it doesn't oxidise. You can um, obviously freeze it. Uh, obviously, the temperature thing is like obviously something frozen can last a lot longer than something sitting at ambient temperature. Uh, obviously, the moisture is something that can be uh, problematic. So how you actually then store it. So whether the, you see a lot of producers now putting into vac sealed. So, you know, so it's not just Grain Pro. So there's an opportunity there that just, you know, vacuum sealed bricks are just getting delivered and they just put straight into freezers. Shout out to Cole McBride who does a great job of that as well uh, with Ford Coffee. Um, you know, you can literally now buy one kilo, you know, sort of block bricks of, you know, crazy coffee and, and sell it. It's like one of those great innovative innovative ideas that i just love yeah and that's i think that's another way that we can actually then yeah like you said stockpiling um you know you trade coffee when it's a decent price when the logistics are going to work for you and and do that and again i think i think what we can do is if we can be a little bit more transparent i think you know one of the roasters that i always um had a lot of admiration for was tim wendelbo um where not only were they put they always put like harvest on their coffee bags and I think that's really important that it doesn't actually – it's important of, like, where and when this coffee was actually produced rather than just when it was roasted. Um, so, you know, roast date is obviously something that people gravitate to. Um, you know, saw someone post yesterday. Obviously, there was a specialty roaster that was on the supermarket shelf and their coffee was 14 months past roast date. Over a year. Yeah, mm. um, which is really, like, obviously – yeah, when you think about it, who's not doing stock rotation? Who's not checking on something that's sitting on a shelf for over a year? That's that's incredible. But in saying that, um, if you're transparent about it and you say my coffee does last a year, then that's even better. Like that's so if you've got frozen coffee and you go, well, we this was harvested 15, 18 months ago, but this is our process and it works for us. Mm. I think that's I think that's really good. You don't have to be preachy about it, but it's like. This is how we create our consistency, and I think that's really good. Yeah, I think there's still so much more to uncover in frozen coffee as well. Uh, Like, I really do believe that the best method for storing coffee in a freezer is yet to be found. Um, And what do I mean by that? So, you know, we common when I first started, I was vacuum sealing everything, thinking that was the best. And then it became more practical for me to use tubes because it's quicker to dose them up, and also I don't have to waste all the plastic. I can reuse it, and I do. I reuse it a lot. Um, but I still don't think I'm very, I'm, I'm very pleased with the results that we get in our pop-ups. Very, very pleased. But I've got some coffees that I've saved for two or three years and they haven't quite lasted the process. And I still think we're yet to uncover the best method for storing frozen coffee. I don't know what it is, don't know how it's going to work. I'm going to try and find out what it is. I would love to do some work developing a product like that. But, you know, I, I really do think we're some way away from finding the optimum 
Oh, absolutely. And again, like I think we talked about someone recently when we were on the walk before about, um, you know, the way they set up their their new roasting system was just due to help automate it and to help their packing line, everything else. And they thought about that process. And I guess that's the other thing you've got to think about. It's like, okay, how can we put a frozen coffee program together that's that works and that actually is long-term and yeah, that starts probably at the, at the, at the last step. So whether it's the cafes, whether it's the roastery cafes, I don't know. I think, I think the idea of having a wholesaler that sells a frozen coffee menu to their wholesalers is awesome. I think like, how can they store that? And then I'm going to do it one day. Yeah. Uh, and how can they distribute it? And whether that's roasted coffee or green, I always found that roasted coffee is a lot less volatile than green coffee. So when you say frozen stocks, I would be really interested to see whether or not you actually roasted that ton, hundred ton up and just and froze and froze that rather than freezing the green, um, freezing and then you know obviously you know you speak to people and go well, how would you go about roasting this coffee? Do you defrost it? Do you roast it from frozen? Obviously, the way the energy transfers within a roaster, not really wanting to roast from frozen and extra moisture. So it's really interesting. Like you said, I don't think we we really have just scratched the surface on this frozen coffee piece. Um, but you've got to look at, like, again, look at the, some of the other industries you look at, like how many times you've probably had uh, frozen peas that probably taste better than any fresh peas you've got because they're literally picked and frozen on the spot. And okay, that works for that product. Now there's a lot of products that don't freeze well, so you don't freeze them, but I think coffee, the way it is, it's like, there's an opportunity here to go, okay, we're not, we don't know what we're doing. (laughs) We could do so much better. And I think that will then lead into, okay, how can we, how can we do that? And shipping is a really important thing. It's like, okay, if I've got to get three orders from a place and I've got to pay three lots of shipping or I can order it all at once, pay one lot of shipping and then have my stockpile, that's going to be more um, sustainable for your business. Something you mentioned there was the word wholesale. Now, I kind of, it, we were talking about it a little bit before this podcast, like, if you're a cafe anywhere in the world and you're looking to open a cafe, oh, sorry, if you're a person who wants to open a cafe anywhere in the world and you're looking for a coffee supplier, mm. uh, what are some of the things that you would look for? So you work in the sort of machine equipment sort of space now. Yep. Uh, you've previously worked in wholesale coffee, uh, done, done some years in that field. Um, what are some things you think a cafe owner should look for if they're not happy with their coffee supplier now, if they're sort of starting a new one, um, they're open to change for the right reason, what are some of the things you would look for? Firstly, the, the wrong reason is price. <laughs> Please do not. This, there is still a little bit of a race to the bottom out there. Um, but you can understand people looking, in this economy yeah, especially, you can understand them looking for the lower price. I've always had a method that sales up is better than cutting costs. So... You know, if you're charging $4 for a cup of coffee and you put your price up to $4.40, increased by 10%, you can actually afford to lose 10% of your customers before you start losing money. And people don't like that because, again, we're trading a, a thing that needs trading in volume. Trading, it's a commodity. And we don't like to think, well, if we're losing customers, it's a bad thing. Obviously, again, customers buy other things and spend per head and all that sort of stuff. I get that. But the thing that you have to do is you... I, you know, you have to align with businesses that still align with what you want and, and they actually satisfy you. I think if you're happy with the coffee that's going to be more authentic to your customers, uh, you've got to be mindful that you align with the principles of your supplier. So if there's if the supplier is just there to make money and you're just there to make money, great. You guys will work well together. You'll probably make a half-decent product and make good cash. That's good. That's some people want to do that. Good enough? Absolutely. Um 
But I think aligning with like-minded people is really important um, because the way you speak about your coffee, if you speak about it with like authority and passion and just a general level of positivity, like you will sell more cups. Mm. Like if you see them, I fucking hate my supplier. Like I'm not going to sell cups of coffee. I'm not going to like you, you will still sell the functional amount because there'll be people who will buy whatever that you're selling. And the same thing happens. I think, look, it's hard. I, I always like for people to align with people. Um, as I said, the, the pieces that I like to automate in the cafe, the actual, say, wholesale selling side of things is very much a people job, right? Like it's, it's, a, it's a person connection and you can have a connection with someone and that's fantastic. At the same time, you probably don't want to just be completely aligned with just a single person with a business. You want to make sure that whole business aligns with you because people move around. People don't last in the same businesses forever. It's, it's very different to how it used to be where people would just, you know, set up shop and that's kind of where they are. Like, I mean, I've moved around. I tried, you know, I tried to spend, you know, multiple years at places before I do move on, but I haven't, I'm definitely someone that's moved around and tried to learn as much as I can from different employers and different businesses. But when you're sort of picking a wholesaler, you've just got to try and align your values to with the people that you are getting supported by and being supplied by. Mm, and some of the, you know, I'm sure there's some great uh, companies that I sort of won't mention here that I probably should, but I'll probably forget because I'm you know, getting on a bit. Uh, you know, like someone like a you know, San Ali or uh, uh, Five Senses, great company. Um, you know, Honor, great company. Axel, uh, this single O. Uh, yeah. There's Pablo and Rusty. So many great ones out there. Um, and yeah, you know, I should mention Seven Seeds uh, and uh, Sample Coffee. Yep, they're both the. I think they're currently the only two. Australian coffee businesses that are B Corp sort of certified. Yep. So, I mean, and, you know, they're not going to be the cheapest coffee in the market and for good reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Being fully transparent, I think when they put, when Seven Seeds put their uh, impact report out and what they actually pay for coffee at the farm level, like, I'd love to see everybody do that. Like, yeah, and they're, they've recently, and I should congratulate them for this, uh, switched to all recyclable yeah. uh, packaging, which is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. As I said, it's a conscious mind to think about what, where we're going to be and how we can actually survive in the long term. Um, yeah, you've mentioned some... I think some Market Lane actually just got B Corp certified as well, yeah. so congratulations yeah. to them. Yeah. Uh, that, that's such a great thing, and that's what we said. Like, I mean, you know, when you are thinking in that space, like Silver Chef, where I work, is B Corp certified, so that's obviously a big part of, you know, what we do in the community and everything else like that. It is just one of those things where... Um, when you, when you are looking at a supplier, it is just more than just the product. Uh, unfortunately, as we said, like McDonald's is still the biggest coffee company and we're, I don't think if McDonald's had a coffee wholesale business that anyone would buy it because there'd be other reasons why you wouldn't. But it's like, okay, it's what the most people consume. And that's all fine and well and good. At the end of the day, you want to, again, like I said, you want to align with businesses that are like-minded to what you want to do um, and are doing the right thing across the board. Mm. And, you know, on the topic of, like, big business and McDonald's mm. and stuff, of all the chains in Australia where you can get cups of coffee, the best one I've had is actually at Krispy Kreme. Fantastic. Would you believe yeah. uh, You know, you can get a yeah, original glazed <laughs> chocolate devil, whatever they used to call them, and a flat white. And the flat white's actually quite good. Yeah. yeah. They've, they've embraced the automation piece. So yeah. You, know, you go there, you'll see an, uh, an Uber Milk, a yep. Black Eagle probably, and Mythos Grinder, and a Puck Press. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. They've realised, again, 
you know, again, you're not going to find someone who wants to pursue a career as a barista probably working at a Krispy Kreme, unless they're a manager or a store owner or a franchise owner. That's obviously a little bit different. But, you know, someone who wants to cut their teeth and get into the pointy end of coffee is probably not going to be aligned then. And I would recommend anyone who does that. I, I look at my brother who who's a chef and he's cooked in some of some of the best places, you know, currently works for the Lucas Group, which, uh, you know, has some of the better restaurants in Australia and, and he started off by working at McDonald's and, you know, he learned so many amazing operational systems from working at a place like that. And as a, you've got to, you've got to learn, like, again, you, you can go into a place like that and go, their product is terrible. And you're like, that's fine. But what's the good thing? What do they do really well? Like, what's their, like, how do they, you know, how do they train? And like, anytime I've had a, you know, had to hire a barista and they had McDonald's experience, I knew they'd gone through, you know, training they know they'd gone they've accepted training and it's like oh this is great like we can teach you like quality and we can teach you all this stuff but you've got like a workflow and an operational mindset that actually works the capacity to learn absolutely Mm. absolutely so that's i think that's fantastic and that's someone who wants to actually yeah go further along and that's probably something we probably don't consider enough in specialty coffee as well upskilling yeah um and you know i don't think lots of coffee businesses they either don't have the resources or don't make the resources available to upskill their staff. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, like that could be uh, – I think a, a, a lot of the good coffee companies, uh, wholesalers in Australia, will have a good training program uh, that they'll offer to their wholesaler customers. So that's great, and they can sort of uh, work with them at, at will there. But I, I still think there's so much more to um, – to un- a lot of coffee's problems could be solved by upskilling and training. Oh, 100%. And, again, like I said, we are at a place now – as we talked about automation, like, okay, the automation, a machine can do what most like low skilled people can do. So that's fine. But, you know, but a high skilled person driving this automation will actually make it better. And I think that you, you, we coffee wholesale, you are not selling a completed product. You are selling something that still has some multiple hands touching it before it's actually consumed as its final version. So, it's in your it's in the coffee company's best interest to really invest in training and trainers to and I think that's the best way that I would say if you are a cafe and you are looking to change suppliers, look at their training program. I think it's really important that it's offered and that it, it again aligns with what you want to do and that's that's the way that you go forward. It's like, okay, like how do we get better? And that's what you want. I should ask you a question before we go, actually. What's some of the benefits of, you know, if- getting equipment through a company like yours yep. as opposed to receiving it free on loan as part of your coffee wholesale program. Like, you know, you, you get coffee for, let's say, 30 bucks. It's probably pretty cheap nowadays. Um, <laughs> and you get a machine chucked in. Um, you know, why, why, why do it the other way? There's, there's different levels to it. There's different people that benefit. Obviously, for the end user, you get that flexibility, that freedom of like getting what you want or what you need or working with someone that will actually help you grow your business. Um, and then not having that, having that flexibility to go, well, how do I improve my coffee program by maybe using multiple coffees? And I can, you know, I'm not, I'm not sort of chained to a, a, a specific brand and a specific coffee. From the coffee side of things, uh, as we talked about earlier with the, um, you know, the rise in coffee costs, whether it be through global changes, whether it be through logistics, whether it actually just be the fact of inflation hasn't really 
has really escaped the coffee market up until recently. Um, the coffee company now can sort of sit there and actually have that really like authentic conversation with their customers. Okay, you are buying coffee from me. We our we have seen an increase in our raw product. We have to charge you more. And I've been part of businesses that have had to put their price up over the last couple of years uh, for their coffee price. And when you're going through that sort of traditional equipment online piece, it's like if you've got an older piece of equipment, which again, people realize that it's part of the per kilo price you pay. Uh, the equipment is old. It's already paid for. So how does it justify having a price increase? So by sort of separating your equipment and your coffee, it's also a thing. I just, I mean, I get it that there's marketing components and all that sort of stuff, but I never understood that if, you know, you want to work and partner with a coffee company, that the coffee company was actually responsible for giving you like $30,000 worth of equipment so you could buy their coffee. It's like, okay, how, how quickly do you actually pay that equipment off? And I think the benefit of, of, of using like product of what I do now is like everyone has that flexibility. Um, if you're a small roaster and you're having to compete against bigger roasters by putting tons of equipment in there, if you're buying it and eating up your sort of cash flow and your capital, well, it sort of affects what the next deal on the line or if that customer leaves or if that customer needs an upgrade and you're stuck with a piece of equipment you bought, it's got nowhere to go. It sits on the shelf, starts keeps depreciating. Whereas like, the flexibility that we can offer is like, okay, you can rent that and then, okay, I need to give that back. You give it back. And so do you like reservice the machines and give them a bit of love and then get them out to other cafes sort of thing? Absolutely. I think the secondhand machine market is the absolute goldmine of like not only my business but what we're doing now because, again, every single one of these coffee um, manufacturers have had to put their price up. And some some of them are really good at actually just, I think it's great that some of them put their price up every single year. Um, because it just, it, it, it's interesting that you can do it at that end. Um, which means if you are doing sort of the traditional equipment online piece, you are, um, your margins are becoming smaller and smaller. And so, um, it's really interesting when you do talk to people who say work in the green coffee space as brokers or, you know, people who are importers where say coffee companies are not doing that direct, uh, rather than having to sort of manage some of those increased costs a lot of people were actually just trying to find cheaper coffees and so if you're spending a lot of your capital into your equipment then are you sacrificing the quality of your cup so then you can match up these prices so being able to offer that flexibility and the second hand market's fantastic things are holding their value so well i mean you saw the car market just has done the similar sort of thing where sometimes a second hand car now is 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 a higher price than a new car and yeah i know someone that just recently bought a car um yeah, you because know, they they ordered it like fourteen months in yeah. advance, and then it arrived, and they drove it around for four or five months or something, then sold it for more than they bought it. Absolutely, and that because of that sort of timeline, and and you get now, and there are there are a couple of machines on the market where they um like you know some of the machine manufacturers do hold stock, and that's fine, that's great, and means you can get a turnaround in a handful of days. But there are some machines. Uh, and I'll say it, the San Remo Opera, because I don't think it's a thing, but it's a, it's a made-to-order machine. And from the moment you sort of commit to this machine, it's going to be about six months before you actually see it in your venue. So there's a, you know, there's a, it's, it's an, like an amazing amount of investment, especially if you've sort of paid some of those upfront costs that you're like, okay, I've just now eaten up my cash flow or something that I'm not going to make money from for like half a year. And it's an, like, it's an incredible, like, piece now where you say okay so we you know again the second hand but a second hand one might 
might gather like the volume because again it's it's ready now. You'll be able to actually sell it at a high, might be able to sell it at a high value because it's a supply and demand issue. It's like, oh, okay, I can get this right now. <laughs> I can buy this right now. I'll pay for it because I can pay for the convenience. So, I think the secondhand market is, um, I think it's a really fantastic place to to locate that, and it's a really good way to sort of have that. Like, okay, do I need this piece? Oh, okay, well, I can jump into the market hopefully at a cheaper rate, and it works for me. And, Upgrade to something new, new and shiny. Yeah, and I like that being out. Like if I'm putting myself in a cafe operator's shoes or my my own shoes and want to upgrade, sort of thing. And yeah, sounds flexible. Sounds good. Yeah, mate. If I when I open a coffee shop again, I'm gonna hit you yeah. up. Awesome. Um, all right, let's wrap it up here. Okay. I want to sort of firstly let's talk about uh, let's touch on you know we've got a pop up we're doing tomorrow. Yep. I'm really excited for it. The one we did after Mice was crazy. Yep. Uh, all of my coffee heroes came. It was nuts. I think this will be a slightly toned down version of that. We're doing it at Nigel Coffee. Um, so, and a good friend of ours, Dan Dick, hosting us. He's got four stores of his own now, starting to roast his uh, his own coffee. So if you're in the Melbourne area, definitely give Nigel a go. Great coffee. Couldn't oh, you attest? Absolutely. Look, I think Dan's been pretty... Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, what do you say? Influential into what I've done in my coffee career in many venues that he's worked in or we've worked in together. Um, so, he's, like again, it's great to see him going through this level of growth and now doing his own thing. Mm. Um, so, like, just couldn't think of a better guy to to a better venue to sort of hang out and do this sort of thing. And it's an old school team that we get put together with the San Ali alumni, yeah. Mm. With uh, yeah, with Todd Suter and Dan Dick, and yeah, it's a great, great spot, and yeah, really cool location, and like I'm just really excited to sort of you know be back amongst it. Mm. I, I love having you there. You're the filter king. Uh, I think I'm going to have as the photo for you, uh, the graphic for this photo. I'm going to try and get someone to paste your face over that meme of Alan from The Hangover when yeah. he's counting cards and all the calculations, because that's you. That's you. You just calculate stuff live on the spot, and it's it's unbelievable. I like it. Um, next up. Uh, and probably finish on this is I really am serious about doing this sub zero auto yeah uh, autopilot whatever yeah we'll come all, you know if you're listening to this send us some sick names for <laughs> like the theme of that pop up so we'll call it sub zero uh, I don't know Autobot sub zero miss prime I don't know yeah. <laughs> if you can think of a good name we'll name it so let, should we should we do that like should we should we uh, branch it out to people. You know, give us a good name idea and we'll name it that. Absolutely. And and give, give a bit of love I'm to the thinking, I'm thinking the merch ideas and all that sort of stuff. But absolutely, I think, mm. yeah, if you can name this, I think this is a really cool opportunity, again, to think like how, um, where we go beyond just serving high-end coffee, which is great. But it's like, how do we do it better? At, like, And yeah, sub-zero, yeah. Mm. No, I'm keen. I'm really keen to do this. Dramatic. And for God's sakes, people, please. Tell two friends about this podcast. The two friend rule still applies. I need you to tell two of your mates. I, I need this podcast. I need the numbers to double next week. You need to tell people, yeah, to listen to this podcast. Where, where, where can they find the podcast? You know, it's not. Oh, where can they find it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Spotify. Yep. Um, and it's a bit case sensitive, so it's sub hyphen zero coffee. Yeah. Uh, SoundCloud, same deal. Apple Podcasts, and I think that's the holy trinity of them. Yeah, uh, you know that that's 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 if there's any other platform I need to find, sure. I want to keep this podcast free. I don't want to put put it on Patreon. I know a lot of people are suggesting me put it on Patreon, but I want it to be free for everyone. Um, so I'd much rather get sponsors. To get sponsors, we need listeners. So please tell more people. Um, and on that note, um, I think we're good, Jamie. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we could talk for another. 
Oh, yeah. yeah look, bit- look, it's nine o'clock. You know, we've, we've got a big day tomorrow, so yeah. we'll probably, probably wrap it up. But, you know, I can just get you on, get on again. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll do part two. We'll do something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, who knows what happens in a year from now. It'd be crazy. But, yeah. you know, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Um, you know, another big one. The podcast is getting longer and longer. Maybe that's yeah. what, maybe maybe I should shorten them up and more people listen. I don't know. But um, you know, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to have uh, to have you, and um, I'm so excited for tomorrow. And uh, thank you so much for your insights. I've wanted to do this for a long time. Glad we finally got it done. Yeah. Um, and mate, onwards and upwards. Absolutely. All right. On that note, everyone, please stay cool. Stay cool.